So now we will continue with our study of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra. Om Yogena Chittasya Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasya Chavaitya Kena Yopakarotam Pravaram Muninam Patanjalim Pranjali Ranatosmi I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of body through medicine. So in the last class, we concluded for the time being the description which has been given in the very first chapter of the Yoga Sutra of the various types of Samadhi, the Sampragyata and Asampragyata. And in the last class we were just studying the Upaya Pratyaya. Very nice two terms we found which has been enunciated in the Yoga Sutra. One is Bhava Pratyaya and the other is Upaya Pratyaya. What is Bhava Pratyaya? That if in the process of our meditation, if we cannot eradicate the thoughts totally, if a trace of the thought remains, if the mind, in the mind there is Vyutthana, the mind again comes back to the domain of thoughts, then though I have cleansed my mind. My mind is no more getting entangled with the vagaries of my worldly existence. It remains always in a high spiritual exaltation. But still I am in the domain of thoughts. So that will lead to the attainment of the higher planes of existence which has been enunciated in the uh, 19th Sutra of the first chapter. The Bhava Pratyaya Videha Prakriti Layanam. So that was indicated in the 19th Sutra that it's a very high state, Videha, where you don't feel the need for the body you are in, even in our day-to-day -day life, we find that when we are engaged in something very sublime, we enter into a state of flow. A musician, uh, a painter, even in our day-to-day -day life, we find those who ski. They need a tremendous concentration. And through the practice, they have developed the skill to such an extent that thing which may apparently appear to be dangerous for them is actually it's a state of bliss. They've reached a state of spontaneity by focused attention where the sense of the body falls off. And they can continue in that state for hours together, for quite long period. How it happens? 
because the focus of the mind is totally on the object of the concentration. No part of the mind remains to take care of other activities. What to speak of external activities, even the bodily alarms in the form of hunger, thirst, tiredness, they also are not taken care of. As a result, we find we enter into a state of bliss, which as if has no satiation. It goes on, goes on. In our day-to-day -day life, the problem, the limitation of all the sensed pleasures is that we cannot, whatever, however intense the pleasure may be, we cannot continue it for long. There's a question of satiation. The delicacy which I like after the first serve, I may go for the second. At the most, I may go for the third. After that, I have to stop. For the time being, a satiation has come. I cannot continue with it. But here they say of a higher happiness, where there is no, as such, limitation, no satiation. It, it's such a tremendous absorption with which you can continue. But yes, even for the musical instrument, you need something external to yourself. The instrument is there. So you have some sense of dependence. A painter also has some sense of dependence. The best way of going into that state is just by contemplating on the mind, by the mind. As we were speaking in the last class, the yogi turns inward. The object of his study is the mind itself the mind with which he is pursuing the entire world. He is uh, having the knowledge of the entire world. The same mind he used, the same instrument he used to introspect on itself. And that leads to that state of Ananda. And we found that from that Ananda, the state of Asmita, where I am just aware of the one who is enjoying that Asmita, bereft of all attachment, a pure bliss. And from that you take a quantum jump by arresting even that thought to reach the state of asampragyata. The however high, however poetic it may appear to most of us when we were going through this discussion, the idea was it is quite abstract. It is something which mentally appeals us, but are we capable of practicing that abstract type of uh, meditation where I have no object as such, the mind itself is the object of meditation with the mind, I am focusing on the mind. It seems sometimes to be quite abstract. So then the question comes, if I am not up to it, if my temperament is not up to it, is there any other way out by which I can attain the same spiritual dimensions, the same spiritual height which the yogi attains by already the things which has been described in the, from the 20th Sutra that we were studying in the last class, that through Sraddha, Virya, Smriti, Samadhi, Pragya, Purvakam, that gradual gradation of all those practices. First we have the Sraddha, that pure faith in the words of the scripture. We don't doubt it. We <clears throat> take them to be the working principle. 
and go on cogitating upon it. We humbly accept that my mind at present is not <coughs> refined enough to understand <coughs> sorry my mind is not yet refined enough to understand that highest state but I take it as a working principle <coughs> work on it and then I come to a type of intellectual conviction <clears throat> my mind gets refined and I come to a type of intellectual conviction that yes what the scripture speaks of do have some meaning <coughs> and that gives me <coughs> the motivation the virya which has been spoken of sraddha virya and once you have the motivation, you go on with your practice. Then what happens? Your memory becomes intense. Whatever you may be doing, a part of your mind is always engaged in the contemplation. As we were saying, the example of Sri Ramakrishna, that when you have a toothache, whatever you may be doing, a part of your mind is always feeling the ache. You can never get rid of it. So when the object of meditation becomes like that, that's what the smriti is. When you have that type of smriti, it will automatically lead you to samadhi. The mind now is gradually tending to that ekagrata. So that will lead you to the samadhi. And from that the pragya will ensue. And from that the paravairagya the supreme detachment will is bound to come and which will lead you to the final state of spiritual liberation. So now as we saw that this is a method which is quite abstract. Is there any other way by which I can reach the same state? I feel that I am not up to it. Is there any other way? So now the Yoga Sutra will be opening up a new portal for us by bringing in the concept of Ishwara, the concept of God. The Yoga will be defining God, what God is, who God is. And what's the role of God in our spiritual life? How by having a special type of devotion, it's not the devotion which we know in our day-to-day -day life where God is the means, world is the end. God is the means, world is the end. For most of us, that we actually don't want God, we actually don't want spiritual evolution, we have some worldly goals for which God is the means. So we, go to, we go and pray and God is there to fulfill our wishes. In not that sense. Not even in the sense that I contemplate on God. Because that also is quite a difficult task. Just the way we were already discussing to keep the mind restricted from thoughts. If I say that God is, you forget about just meditating on the mind 
you just take the concept of divine, concept of God and meditate on it. That also is equally challenging. Ishwara Pradhan is not even that. It's a wonderful concept which has been brought in the Yoga Sutra. That it's a way where Pranidhana actually means surrender. If I can surrender myself to God, then this spiritual evolution happens spontaneously. By the grace of the God, the God graces the devotee and the spiritual evolution starts happening spontaneously. It's not that he jumps all the steps. All the steps will be followed, which has been spoken of in the previous sutras. But uh, it will happen almost spontaneously. It, there won't be any such conscious effort, but they will be followed automatically, leading me to the highest spiritual liberation. So that's the sutra which we are going to deal with today. The sutra is the 23rd sutra of the first chapter, which speaks of the alternatives. If we feel that this idea which has already been spoken is quite abstract for most of us to follow, then there is a wonderful way, a unique way to reach the same heights of spiritual evolution just by having a specific type of devotion to Ishwara. So that will be spoken of in the 23rd Sutra. For that, now we will just share the screen so that you also can refer to the text. So, now, does concentration become fruitful only by adopting the methods described in Sutras 20-22, which you already studied? Or is there any other means? So now, in this context, the 23rd Sutra comes. What it is? Ishwara Pranidhanat Va. Ishwara means God, Pranidhanat is a special type of devotion. So it means, yes, it is possible to reach that highest state of evolution by some alternative method. What is that? By practicing a special type of devotion, which has been termed as pranidhana to Ishwar. So now this terms is a technical term. We have to know what pranidhana actually is. So previously we have, as we have seen that to make the mind one pointed through contemplation on grahya, on some external object, grahan on the mind itself, and at last on the grahita, on the egoism, on the sense of ego, the witness self, it may take us to the sense of sampragyana, to the state of sampragyana. But there is another way of making the mind one-pointed and stable, and that is Ishwara Pranidhana. So what that Pranidhana is? It's a very special type of devotion. So it consists of the feeling of the existence of God in the innermost core of your heart. It's the practice where we feel the God is not somewhere out there. He's always with me. He's as if sitting in the core of my heart. It's itself a great practice. In our scripture, it has been spoken of as Ahangraha Upasana. 
two things vigraha ahangraha when you when you think of the deity to be sitting in the altar you go stand in front you pray what happens you know you attribute all the good qualities to the deity who is in the altar and at the same time you can just escape yourself by thinking all those good qualities belong to the deity belong to the the divine deity who is sitting there i am an ordinary soul so what happens the values which we are thinking of in the deity is not getting internalized so when you think the divinity sitting in the core of your heart you become the shrine which is enshrining the deity in your heart now very interesting the moment you know that the deity is enshrined in your heart the very first thing the shrine should be clean so the body not only physically mentally it should be clean so what happens gradually the concept of purification comes naturally so by thinking of the divinity sitting in my heart the cleansing process starts as your body is now the shrine so it's a very very important thing to think of the divinity sitting in your heart this is known as ahangraha upasana it's a very interesting thing you will find in all the religions there is a something called regimentation there is a discipline you go to the church you will find all are praying in the same way and it's really creates a wonderful effect you go to any muslim prayer you will find that this all are praying the same way in the world the biggest congregation is kumbh mela but you go there you will find something totally unique different there are millions of people but no one is practicing the same thing all have their own unique peculiar ways of just doing the rituals or praying and that gives a sense that the hindus are extremely discordant that means they cannot as if coalesce together but it's an apparent vision which is which doesn't speak the truth the wonderful concept of vigraha this ahangraha comes here to understand the idea of this ahangraha i will give you an example suppose a doctor has a few children three four children throughout the day after the practice he comes back opens the white coat keeps the stethoscope opens the shoes and immediately all the children come running the three four children they come running one will be picking up the white coat and wear just put it on some may take the stethoscope and just go on putting it on the chest of all the other family members and one may wear the shoes and just go around the children are doing some childish act by doing that they feel that they have become become a doctor they have become a doctor like their father just by holding the stethoscope no one becomes a doctor just by wearing the white coat no one becomes a doctor it's just a childish act but the father is happy he knows very well all these childish acts which in no way is going to make them the doctor is subconsciously developing the motivation that one day 
I also we have to be like my father, a reputed doctor. So just these all childish acts. So now you will find that there's in this wonderful Vedic tradition, there is no restriction the way you worship. But when you are worshiping, thinking of the divinity within, I can never become God. I can never become God. But by internalizing the divinity within me and by practicing the association with the divinity with all sorts of practice which may be varied. It is just like some is having the stethoscope, some is wearing the white coat, like that here also the rituals may be varied. But all are developing the motivation to be more and more spiritual. So this is a wonderful idea which developed in this Vedic culture. It was freedom, this freedom, the plurality was quite accepted. It's not what you're doing that is important. The motivation which is working behind that is the important thing. So there's no need for regimentation. It is, it is not that we are criticizing it. It's also good. It has its own way. But at the same time, if we think that this discordant practices as such have no utility, we will be doing a big mistake. It actually has played a great role for thousands of years in the Vedic tradition to help us evolve in our own way as per our temperaments. So the very first thing is to think of this pranidhana, the first thing is think of the divinity as if sitting in the innermost core of your heart. You are the shrine in which the divinity is enshrined and to now to rest content by surrendering oneself to him. The divinity is sitting there and I surrender myself to the divinity. Now what actually surrender means? The surrender to God has two components. To feel always that I am doing everything as if being prompted by him. It is not me. It is as per his wish all the actions are happening through me. That's the first component. And the second component is to offer the fruits of all actions to him. Whatever I am doing is it's as per his wish. He has as if placed me in certain situation of life with certain responsibilities and I am doing as per his prompting and I do it perfectly because it is an offering to him. I cannot offer something to the divine which is not good, which is not perfect, which is not excellent. Whenever I have to offer anything, I give the best to the divinity. So whatever I'm doing as it is an offering, I do it in the best possible way with the most dedicated attention. And after doing, I have no expectation. I know it is an offering to the divine. The fruits of that action is also offered to him because after it's an offering, I don't want anything in return. So what happens when I do this practice? You'll find in our life, the worries and concerns are gone. If you can become habituated in this type of practice, because in life, always we question why I am in this situation. Why I, I, it's only me who have to go through all those uh, challenges. So this question stop. I don't ask why me. I accept it as if the will of the divine. It is most probably for some higher purpose, which is not visible to me. I, with my limited understanding, don't understand that why the divinity has kept me in such situation. But I accept it as his wish. 
And not only wish, God is after all not a sadistic person. He's not going to enjoy by making me suffer. The suffering must have a purpose, which at present I don't know. It's a way of drilling. It's a way of grooming me that the divinity knows. He's taking me through all those threats and I don't expect the result of those actions. Good, bad, whatever it may be, pleasure, pain, whatever it may be, I offer it to the divine, knowing it very best that I have nothing to do with all those results. So what happens? I am not expecting anything. I am not worrying about anything. The concerns are not there. The ego has banished. You have banished the ego. The sense of ego can be easily banished if we can get habituated with this type of practice. And this is the pranidhana, which has been spoken of. So here you will find, it is not that I am sitting and in some specific hours for meditation. Throughout the day, whatever I am doing, with my day-to-day -day practice, everything what I am doing, without, irrespective of the fact I am not meditating, whatever I am doing, I have a sense of dedication that I am offering to the divine, and I am not interested with the results, offer them to the divinity. So the egoistic feeling falls off, and this brings a wonderful perpetual faith in God. If we can really practice this, then what happens, as in the commentary, the Vyasa Vashya, it has been mentioned, God's grace, which has been termed in that Vashya, the Sanskrit term is Abhidhyaya, Abhidhyana. Abhidhyana is the grace. Pranidhana results in Abhidhyana. So this grace actually what it is. Now question comes, is God partial? His grace is bestowed only to those who as such have faith, perpetual faith in Him, those who can surrender the result of their actions to Him. For others, God's grace is not there. But God's grace is supposed to be unconditional. It is supposed to be for all. So we have to understand this grace in its correct sense. So as we go, we will try to understand that what it actually means. That once I have that perpetual faith, I surrender myself to the divine. I give up my results to him. I have full faith in him. His grace is there to help me out to evolve spiritually. So what that grace is actually is. So this Abhidhyana, being touched by his devotion, as has been indicated in the Vyasa Vashya. So being touched by the devotion, what happens? Being touched by his devotion, God desires that the wishes of a wholehearted and dependent devotee be fulfilled. But again, we should be careful. It's not the worldly desires. For that, our actions are sufficient. God's grace is not required. As we act, so we act to the result. And God's grace is in no way comes to the picture for our material gains. The devotee, the real devotee, the sattvic, suddha sattvic devotee wants spiritual evolution. So the, in the commentary, very specifically it has been mentioned, obviously God's grace would be directed towards bestowing highest benefit to the devotee, namely the attainment of liberation. It's not meant for the material gains. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, 
is a fool who digs a well in the bank of Ganges. Will anyone dig a well in the bank of Ganges? When you are in presence of the divine, all the worldly gains becomes trivial. It's just like digging well on the bank of the Ganges. When you are having abundant resource of water, what's the need of digging well? So asking for the trivial things is just like digging well on the bank of the Ganges. So here it has been specifically indicated. It is only that God's grace, which has been spoken of here, is for the spiritual evolution. If I can really surrender myself to the divine, then all the steps which has been already spoken of in the previous sutras, those happen automatically, those happen spontaneously, taking through the God's grace, leading me to the absolute spiritual realization, the ultimate spiritual realization. So as we have already indicated, we should not confuse Ishwar Pradhan as mere contemplation on God. Through contemplation on God or any liberated being, the mind naturally becomes calm and thereby concentrated. It's just like one of the process which we have already spoken of, that our mind becomes ekagra, through that practice, it leads to the spiritual evolution. It is actually a purushakara. It is actually something of my own effort. That is not Ishwara Pranidhana. Here I have surrendered myself. As such, I am not practicing. I am not trying to concentrate my mind. I have just surrendered myself to the divine and the divine grace starts working on me, taking me to the spiritual evolution. Now its question comes, what's the science behind it? Is there any science behind it? Yes. That how Ishwara Pradhana works. You know, this in this life, the biggest problem uh, happens when in the name of spirituality, we go on crystallizing our ego. How? Who has to get liberation? It is me. This limited sense of individuality that has to get liberation. So it is I have to get liberated. The more that I is stressed, I forget that to get rid of that I is the entire spirituality. So sometimes in the name of spirituality, that I becomes more and more crystallized. This Ishwar Pranidhan is a wonderful way. To give an example, suppose you have climbed up a tree and you're holding onto one of the branches. Now to fall, no effort is required. To fall from the tree, the gravitation is always working. The gravitation is working on all of us. As long as I'm holding the tree, I don't feel the gravitation. The moment you leave your hold, no effort is required. The gravitation will pull you down. You will be just thirsted to the ground. You will you will, have, you will just force down to the ground because of the gravitation. So what was the effort? Only to leave your hold. Similarly, it is our clutch to the eye which is holding us to this sunset level of existence. In the Ishwar Pranidhana, what I have done? I have surrendered. I have left my hold. The moment you can leave the hold, now the grace, just like the, just the way the gravitation works downwards, grace works upwards. It takes you to the spiritual domain. 
it evolves you. So this grace-like gravitation is working on all. The question is, who has left the hold? If I'm not, if I'm holding onto this ego, then that, gravity, that grace, though it is working on me, can not help me as such. I have to let go with my holding onto the ego and immediately that grace starts working on me. So that's the idea. So God actually is not uh, partial. It's not that only to his devotees his grace is being bestowed. Grace is bestowed to all. The one who can surrender, who can let go, who can leave all the clutches which keeps us entangled to this limited sense of individuality. They only can experience that grace and it automatically takes them to the spiritual evolution. In the words of Ramakrishna, very nicely used to say that God's grace is always blowing. But in the wall of ego, it gets obstructed. So remove that wall. It is always blowing. That Ami rup deale dhakka khe phero means In his Bengali terms, he's saying that it is getting obscured, obstructed with a wall of ego, but it is blowing. The one who can remove that wall of ego immediately will be experiencing that grace and that grace will automatically take him to the higher spiritual evolution. The best example of this is Girish Chandra Ghosh in the life of Sri Ramakrishna. If you have to understand Ishwara Pranidhana, the best example is Girish Chandra Ghosh. Now Girish Chandra Ghosh was a play writer. He used to direct the plays. He was a very busy person. And not only that, he was quite licentious. He was a very heavy drunkard. He used to drink heavily. By coming in association, becoming in association of Ramakrishna, gradually his life started changing. He, st he really started feeling to just be in that type of company. And not only that, he started realizing the, uh, the treasure which is hidden in that spiritual realization. So he was also aspiring for that. Now Sri Ramakrishna to ascertain that some practice he does for what he is aspiring for, that he should do some practice. So he told, he asked him one day that you want to be in that high spiritual state. Can you meditate? Then immediately Girish told, see, my life is such, you have kept me in such a situation. I am so busy throughout the day. I have so many things to take care of. How can I meditate? And Sri Ramakrishna asked him, okay, when you wake up early in the morning, at least meditate then, he told, there is no fixed time for me to get up. Sometimes I'm busy with the lawsuit. I'm just busy in writing, my, this, uh, writing the play. I'm awake quite late at night. And when I wake up, I also don't know. And when I wake up again, I may be immediately having some responsibilities, some duties which has to be taken care of immediately. How can I just assure you that I will at least meditate even for a short time in the early morning? I don't know it's whether it's possible for me. And okay, when before going to bed, the same reason he was giving, that I have no fixed time. How can I just assure you, before taking food, 
when after when you're relaxing after food for nothing girish could give any assurance at last ramakrishna told asked very told a very interesting thing that in bengali he told it tobe amake bokol made means make me your trusty girish khosh was excited elated means you are going to take the responsibility well yes you make me the trusty just trust in me now girish was really very much excited elated and after few days after this incident happened ramakrishna asked girish uh, about certain uh, work which he supposed to do and girish immediately told oh yes i will do it and ramakrishna told how can you say that you have already given the entire responsibility to me you can never say i will do it you can only say if god wills then i will do it the girish immediately found that what a tremendous uh, thing ramakrishna has done for him it would have been easier for him to meditate just in the daybreak in the early dawn or in the dusk or before going to bed that would have been easier now he has to think of him throughout the day whatever he has to do immediately has to think it is if he that if the divine wish it wills then only i can do it but and after the doing it the result i offer it to the divine this practicing of the self surrender will automatically ensure the ekagrata the constant thinking of the divine so there girish found that by just accepting that he has actually enabled ramakrishna to just bestow his grace where we will find that the girish is becoming more and more spontaneous in his practice swami vivekananda used to say that girish is a miracle of ramakrishna if you just go to his life what a tremendous transformation he used to girish was a poet very nice thing he used to say that if i knew that there is a repository there is a place where i can dump all my sins i would have committed still more sins because i know at last i can dump there in a poetic way he say he saying that i have committed so much sin i have drink i have drunk so much that he used to be in a poetic way he will say that if all the bottles are stacked one above the other he is a poet so he used to say very poetically that it will cross it will cross the height of the himalayas of the everest to such a person the grace has walked so now you can see how powerful is ishwara pranidhana it enables it gives it gives us that assurance in whatever state i may be in whatever condition i may be in life if i can really surrender myself the wonderful this grace is going to act on me it's a fact we can just give so many it's not only girish ghosh you know the sweeper of the dakshineshwar his name was rashik he is a illiterate person he saw so many this renowned person is visiting ramakrishna so this gave him the understanding that ramakrishna must be a very great soul why otherwise why so the all the elites of calcutta in those days from from all the fields from literature from 
politics, from religious organization, all are coming to meet him. So he must be a great person. So now one day he just, it came to his mind, somehow I have to get his blessing. So Ramakrishna was returning from the side of the Ganges to his room. And this uh, Rashik, the sweeper, he was just hiding himself on the side of the, uh, of the road through which Ramakrishna is, is going to pass. He was just hiding himself uh, uh, behind a tree. And when Ramakrishna just came near, he suddenly fell flat at his feet. And just, and he told that you have to bless me. Ramakrishna's reply was wonderful. He told, you are extremely clever. He never told directly that I bless you. He told extremely clever. Why he's clever? Because he has done the thing which a human being has to do. To totally surrender oneself. He knows nothing. He's an illiterate person. And this Rashik, the, when he's passing, when he's at the moment of his death, everyone was astonished to see the way he was as if visualizing something. The spiritual domain. Ramakrishna has passed away. He was seeing them. He was asking his wife, give them some chair to sit. And he was totally in a very ecstatic mood. You know, his place has become a center of the Sharada Mat now. He, was, he, get, he got such a tremendous spiritual illumination just by mere faith. The grace works. That's a wonderful thing. So that's the big assurance which the yoga is giving here. That Ishwara Pranidhana. If we can really that, uh, have that sense, faith in God and can totally surrender ourselves, rest all will be taken care of. It's not that I will have to do nothing. All the spiritual practices will be spontaneously happening in my life. Just like the booting of your, rebooting of your computer. When you're on the computer, one after other, the programs actually gets started. One program starts the other. It's just not, just not like awning the lamp, the light. When you switch on the light, in one go, it just gets on. The computer doesn't get on that way. One software boots the other, that boots the other. And all the things which are in your computer is actually activated, is booted. That's why it's called booting. And it's activated. So similarly, all the tendencies, good tendencies in us, uh, which will enable us for the spiritual practice, that will be as if booted by the grace of the divine. Once he switches on the programming within us, which is already there. In the, uh, we all uh, are, are a part of that cosmic mind. The entire thing is there. It is only God who has to just initiate the process and everything starts happening spontaneously. And that's the thing which is being indicated by the term Ishwara Pranidhana. So the grace comes to picture when we can surrender. Now the question comes, but who is Ishwara? So we have already seen that the Yoga Sutra speaks of the duality. There's a Purusha and the Prakriti. So from where this Ishwara comes, who is Ishwara? So that the definition of Ishwara will be given in a few succeeding sutras. The 24th Sutra is the first aspect 
of the Ishwara, which has been spoken of. Who is Ishwara? The first aspect in the 24th Sutra, let us read the Sutra. Klesha, Karma, Vipaka, Ashayai, Apparamrishta, Purusha, Vishesha, Ishwara. So Ishwara also is a Purusha. As per the yoga philosophy, uh, we are not going to the discussion just now. Uh, when the scope comes, we will later discuss that there is a difference between the concept of Ishwara in yoga and in Vedanta. So whatever it may be, as we are studying the yoga, now we will take up the concept of Ishwara as has been described in yoga. It is also a quite uh, sublime concept. The very first idea itself you will find is a wonderful idea. Klesha, Karma, Vipaka, Ashai, Apparamrishta, Purusha, Vishesha, Ishwara. So Ishwara is a special Purusha. Purusha, Vishesha is a special Purusha. He is not like all other ordinary Purusha. He is a special Purusha who is untouched. Apparamrishta means who is untouched, who is not touched. The word Apparamrishta means untouched, who is untouched by afflictions, by Klesha. We are, we as a ordinary Purusha, once we are in the domain of ignorance, are constantly being buffeted by the Klesha, the afflictions in the form of Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Attachment, where whatever is favorable for my, this psychophysical existence, I am attached to that. Whatever is pleasurable, I am attached to that. Whatever is not favorable for my psychophysical existence, whatever is uh, not uh, enduring for my physical existence, psychophysical existence, I hate it or I am afraid of it because it may kill me. So these kleshas, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, these are the kleshas. We, as long as we are in the domain of ignorance, we are afflicted by these kleshas. But Ishara, through eternity, is never afflicted, he's above them. As he's above the glaciers, the question of actions doesn't come. It is all our actions enunciate, starts from either Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Liking for something, all the goals of our life or our likings, because of our hatred for something, we want to avoid something. I don't want to live a very poor state of existence. I hate that. And that's why I want to be an established person. I like that. I'm afraid of death. So I go to the doctor. I always am uh, having so many, uh, what you say, these practices, the asanas and yoga, all those things to keep me healthy. So all these are a part of karma. From where that karma is ensuring? From the glaciers, from the afflictions. So all the afflictions results in karma. As Ishwara has no glacier for him, the question of karma in the ordinary sense doesn't come. He also does karma. We will come to that. that. But his karma is not something which is a result of klesha. For us, the klesha results in karma. That results in the result of action, the vipaka, the various results of action. And when we are doing any action, they are creating some sublateral impressions. I can, they are creating an impression in my mind. It, it just forces me to do the thing again and again. As the impression has been created, I become impulsive. They create the latent impressions, the ashrai. So all those things defines an ordinary Purusha. Ishwara is the one 
who was never touched by them. Because there are some Purushas, Purushas who are liberated. At present, they are, not, they are also like Klesha, Karma, Vipaka, Ashaya, Paramrishta. But most probably they were, they were in the clutch of all those things before liberation. But for Ishwara, that question never arised in the path, past through eternity, in the present, in the future, through eternity. He is going to be above all these limitations which the ordinary Purusha uh, are going through, has to go through. So that's why this is the first definition. Uh, it has to be elaborated a little more. Uh, today, uh, uh, we are just, uh, uh, we can, we though some time is there, but it will take a bit more time. We won't, that's why, proceed today. We will take up this portion, this, this what this Apparamrishta actually means. What's the Ishwara is, we will take up this and also we will try to go to the 25th Sutra, which speaks of the other aspect of Ishwara. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Namaskar, Sanji. Namaskar. Pranam, Shamiji. Namaskar.